What is up? Welcome to another episode of the Masculine Health Solutions Podcast, where I hope you guys are doing fantastic, and I hope you guys can take a whole lot out of today's episode, where we talk about spinal surgery and how it got real messed up (laughs) with Dr. Ardavan Osley. But first and foremost, let me just say, any first announcements is, um, again, for any PE kind of reference things, or if you want any information on it, whatever, like, read more on pumping or whatever. Um, all that stuff is available at masculinehealthsolutions.com. I know a lot of people aren't um, aware of that as they reach out to me via the DMs and ask me questions and stuff. But again, if you have anything that you want to learn more, whether it's pumping, clamping, whatever, I try to put as much as I possibly can on the site. And sometimes I don't always respond to the DMs. So again, just check that out. It's it's all free, right? So I got programs. That I'm like, hey, you know, it's like a maintenance pumping program, whatever the case may be. Um, You can always use that as a reference. I mean, I do, and I still follow the parameters. And yes, I will be coming out with uh, uh, an episode on what my current routine looks like, or doesn't look like, (laughs) because the competition kind of wore me thin, and I realized, I'm like, well, I got to get back to it. You know, when your wife's making fun of you and just being like, yo, you lost some gains. I'm like, shit, I got to go back to it. So that being said, that's going to be an episode coming out soon, and where I'm going to delve deeper into, you know, how to get back into the flow of things maintenance and what my current routine looks like now um but yeah just um that's pretty much all i gotta say and again if you're looking for coaching anything related to fitness you want to put on muscle you want to lose fat get at me send me a dm via instagram or send me an email at conrad.rodriguez at masculinehealthsolutions.com or conradgr88 at gmail.com all right but that being said let's jump into today's episode and talk about what Dr. Asley kind of realized, imagine you're being sedated for a major operation. But let's say you fall asleep and you find out the surgeon has no choice but to implant a device that will not only not work, but will start to mess up your body from the inside out. Why? Because it will begin to disintegrate over time. It will also release all kinds of toxins into your body and you can't really do a whole lot about it because this is the norm when it comes to spinal surgery, right? And renowned researcher and board-certified spinal surgeon, Dr. Asley, um, would do these surgeries. And he realized that, hey, something's really, really off. I don't really like doing this. He's like, this is just messed up, but I got to do it because if I don't, I lose my license because this is the standard of care. This is what the standard of procedure is all about. And Dr. Asley is no slouch. He's a guy that's got all the certifications you could imagine when it comes to spinal surgery. He knows the ins and outs. However, when he started to discover what was wrong with spinal surgery, he was actually ousted and kind of ostracized by his peers and his colleagues. And he started to challenge the status quo. And again, the reason why I respect Dr. Asley so much is that he had the balls to go after these guys and say, hey, this is not right. You guys are causing damage. You guys are... Ah, you guys are leading to a whole bunch of bad things and a whole bunch of people. And this is not good. This is not great. And there's an alternative way to do things. And that's what we talked about. And again, you do want to make sure that you check out his book. It is called, um, <clears throat> where did it go? Corporate Spine. It's a great book where he actually details all the ins and outs about how they went about messing stuff up. He talks about the economics involved. He talks about how people are basically getting lobbied into doing the wrong thing. 
for all the wrong reasons. Nothing new. But unfortunately, it is a system that we live in. And that's why, you know what, I give nothing but mad props to Dr. Asley for having the balls to step up to these guys, stand up, and, and really make his voice be heard. So I hope you guys enjoy, enjoy today's episode. Hope you get the book. Read more. Again, it is called Corporate Spine Book by Dr. Asley. And again, it's a great book because he will actually detail all the different concepts that he's talking about, makes it clear, and honestly, it's, it's a very, very dense subject. And uh, it was an honor speaking to him today, and I hope you guys can take a whole lot out of today's episode. Alright, but enough of my yakking, let's jump on in to today's episode with Dr. Artivan Asley. Before we get started, one more thing. If you want to get any PE gear, be sure to check out totalmanshop.com. That is totalmanshop.com. And use the promo code MHS2020. Promo code is MHS2020. And get 12% off. Be sure to check out their wide variety of all kinds of good quality PE equipment. All right? And that's promo code MHS2020 for 12% off. And the website, once again, is totalmanshop.com. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mask and Health Solutions Podcast, where I am joined by Dr. Ath. He's going to tell us a little bit about what's going on in spinal care, what might be a little bit off or way off. But first and foremost, Dr. Asley, how are you doing today, sir? Thank you very much. And thank you very much for inviting me and giving me, giving me a chance to actually talk about this issue, because it's very important. Yeah. So first and foremost, I mean, tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get involved into spinal surgery? Like what led you into basically getting into this practice? Sure. Like how, what led me to spine surgery period or the type of practice that I'm practicing these days? Well, spinal surgery first and then what you're doing now. Okay, sure. Very good. We'll do both. So um, I always wanted to become a doctor because my dad was a physician and uh, I knew that for sure. So when I went to medical school, then the last years of uh, medical school, I had to decide what I wanted to do. Originally, actually, I thought I wanted to be a heart surgeon. So I finished medical school, went to general surgery to become a heart surgeon. The first year, the first year, that I finished my internship year, the companies came out with little stents, little springs that actually put in the coronaries yeah. and keep it open. The second I saw that, I said, oh my God, I can't. This, <laughs> this field is gonna die, you know? Because the uh, technology favors invasive cardiology as opposed to open heart surgery. I mean, that mm. I could just see it, you know, it was, it was very obvious. So I threw myself into fire and changed my residency and I got into orthopedic surgery. So I did my uh, orthopedic surgery training. And then toward the end of my uh, training, I developed very good friendship with spine surgery. So I gravitated toward the spine surgery professors than the other professors. And I decided to become a spine surgeon. So I got into fellowship in Boston in Brigham Women's and Beth Israel Hospital and uh, did my fellowship in spine surgery. And I started a practice in Northern California. I'm from California. My mother lives in Berkeley. I went to Berkeley undergrad. So um, when I was trying to get a job, they were not hiring. I didn't find a job in Bay Area. So 
there was a group in north of Sacramento they were hiring called Yuba City, and that's where I started my practice. And I've been in practice for about 20 years. I'm board certified in orthopedic surgery and spine surgery. And um, as I practiced through these 20 years, my practice changed based on what I saw from my patients. You know, uh, I always tell people, I say, you know, no two spine surgeons are the same. Their experience is not the same. What they are exposed to is not the same. I happened to be practicing in a small town. And initially, I thought this was a not so glorious, you know. Uh, the perception is, you know, the guys who practice in a big town, probably they're better than the guys who practice in a small town. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the yeah. guys in Sacramento are better than the guys in Yuba City. The guys in San Francisco are better than the guys in Sacramento and so on. You know, so I was always questioned my decision. Well, I can tell you right now, that this was retrospectively, it was the best thing ever happened to me to start in a small town. And why? The most important thing as a spine surgeon, it's not doing the surgery, but understanding what that surgery is doing to the patient. Because mm -hmm. after all, it's all about outcome. It's about helping the patient. And I think that's one of the things that's very lacking in most of the practices. You know, a, a lot of surgeons, they have PAs and stuff, you know. So I don't, they don't see the patient after. They do the surgery, and then the follow-up after that is with a physician's assistance or so. Um, not only that, if you're living in a big town like San Francisco, Sacramento or so, you don't bump into your patients. In the city that I practice, which was Ubis City, I constantly bumped into my patients because yeah. there was only one uh, Walmart, one uh, Home Depot, you know, when I go to these stores, I always bump into my patients. So uh, I knew how they were doing. Uh, yeah. Their uh, neighbors was the neighbor of my office manager, you know, their cousin knew, the cousin of my other. So they all, they always knew what my patients were doing. Well, um, that made a huge difference because as I did more and more surgeries, I realized that man, there's a problem. There's like a disconnect. I just, I, I, what, something didn't feel right. You know, uh, when I was in training, the uh, university base, you know, the big centers, they promote big surgeries. Yeah. And as I did those big surgeries, I was trained for it. I realized that when, when you do this big surgery, a three-level fusion, four-level fusion, that patient is disabled now. They are really cannot hold an employment, they can't, it's very hard for them to work eight hours a day, five days a week. It's just very difficult. Why? Because the surgery itself is a trauma, it's a controlled trauma to somebody. Um, so I started looking for answers, you know, what is going on? I, I start, you know, I want to say I wasn't disgruntled, but I said, you know, something is going on. You know, I got to, I got to start at digging deep. So I thought maybe the, the, techniques that we have or instruments that we have is not adequate. And the first problem is the elderly population. Um, so I invented a device for elderly population. And actually my device got presented in Congress of Neurological Surgeons. I won the innovation showcase for that device. So I'm legit, you know, I just nice. want yeah, to so. understand that, you know, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's not something that I invented for myself. You know, people invent a lot of stuff and then they, you know, they say they did that. But, you know, what is that? You know, <laughs> but my device actually won the innovation showcase and um, and got presented to the rest of the neurosurgery community. So one day, uh, as I was presenting my device personally to a couple other spine surgeons, we got into an argument. 
uh, and they told me, what is your data? And of course, I didn't have a data because it still was still in prototyping uh, stage. So the surgeon was from University of somewhere around Michigan, I want to say, uh, said, come back, to, talk to me when you have enough data. I'm like, wait a minute. Well, the data that we have says it's very controversial. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, the data that we have for stuff that we use is very controversial. And his friend said, yes, he's right. He's right. It's very controversial. So it, that kind of a hit me, said, wait a minute, there's some disconnect. So what I did, I went and looked back at the data, dug deep. And what I found was flat out shocking, literally shocking. And I'm talking about just the research. I'm not talking about some conspiracy theories or anything like that. So I'll start from beginning then, then that, what happened. Um, just to give orientation to the audience, uh, I'll start from the beginning. Spine surgery evolved as a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery and neurosurgery. So you can become a brain surgeon or you can become an orthopedic surgeon. Then you do a fellowship and start doing orthopedic, I mean, spine surgery. Mm-hmm. And the training is different. The philosophy is a little different. Uh, but however, now spine surgeons and neurosurgeons, pretty much they go through the same courses. They, they get trained actually the same training. So they do pretty much the good thing, but same thing, I mean, but there's a heavy influence of orthopedic surgery in spine surgery because of techniques that we use. And this is what happened. So right around, let's say 80s, uh, 70s and 80s, we start doing spine surgeries. And one of the most common surgeries that we do is a surgery called fusion surgery. So a cushion, a disc that between the bone has worn, uh, damaged, causing the pain, back pain, neck pain. So the, to treat that, the treatment that we have at, that we do these days is there's no way of repairing it. Uh, so we go in, we take the disc out, we put a spacer between the two bones, and then we turn the two bones into one bone. So we fuse that segment of the spine that's diseased, basically. Yeah. When we started doing these surgeries, we had a high rate of what we call non-union. That means not healing. What you're trying in this fusion surgery is to create bone where there was no bone before. You're trying to create a bridge between the two bones, two vertebrae, what we call it. Uh, well, to do that, you get the bone from somewhere else, let's say iliac crest, your hip area, and you make a chip and you put it in between the two bones, hoping that they will turn into a solid bone. Well, it turns out that 75% of the time that happens, but 25% of the time, so one out of four patients, that didn't happen. And that's a very high number. Mm-hmm. So we have to find a way to increase that or get rid of that 25%, which turns into a bad outcome and increased pain and repeated surgery, basically. We have learned in orthopedic surgery that key to bone healing is a, what we call a rigid fixation. In fracture fixation in the arms and legs, we have come to understand that the best way to heal it is to do surgery, put a plate, put the plate right next to the two bones, uh, put the two bone ends that are fractured back together, put a plate and shoot some screws to hold it, hold the two ends of the bone in a rigid fashion together so it can heal basically. So we knew that concept of the rigid fixation worked in bone healing in fractures in extremity. So we said, okay, we'll apply the same principle to spinal fusions. And that's what the whole thing started. Somebody in 1985, 
a surgeon from France figured out to insert a large screw. And that's, I'm holding the screw right now. Wow. It's a very large screw that gets inserted into the backbone from back to front. And I have a little glass model right here. So from the back to front, one on each side, one on each side of the nerve, the central canal, uh, each screw has a tulip that can accept a rod. So if you want to fuse, let's say five or six levels, whatever that you have mm -hmm. to do, you put as many of these into, into uh, respective vertebrae, and then you put a rod and you connect them all with a rod. And that basically holds the vertebrae together so the fusion can take place. Uh, well, what happens is that when these screws came out, orthopedic surgeons were like, wow, that's what we've been waiting for. So let's do it. So everybody started doing it, but there were really bad results. At some point in the early 90s, there were about 7,000 lawsuits against the manufacturer, a company called uh, Sophomore Organic that became Medtronic. Now that company is in the form of Medtronic these days. As a matter of fact, the lawyers not only sued the company, they sued the doctors too. They sued oh, North right. American Spine Society and American Academy of Orthopedics. So there were 500 lawsuits against these institutions, actually. Then in 1993, a surgeon called Dr. Zedablik published a paper by himself only. He was the only surgeon uh, in the uh, paper. Published a paper saying that the pedicle screws, the screws work beautifully. Whoever, they had two groups of patients. One of them didn't receive the screw and they did not do very well. But the ones that they did do the, did get the screw in addition to the fusion surgery, they did superb. They had a great uh, reduction in pain. They went back to work. So basically this paper said that the screw is better than anything else. And that gave the green light for all of us to start putting these screws. And actually five years later, by late 1990s, when I was finishing my training, the screws have become standard of care. And to this day, that is the standard of care, okay? So as I was looking at the literature, I found this paper. I said, well, let me do some more. Then, then I found six, six multinational, multi-center papers that was published from 1997 till 2003. Some of them won awards and they were all published in Spine Journal. A, very, a, a very credible journal. And all these six multinational multicenter papers said that the screws don't work. They don't increase fusion rate and they do not improve outcome. As a matter of fact, the people who got it, they had much more complications during the surgery. So basically concluded that the adding the screws only added problem. Yeah. So what is going on? I was like, wait a minute, what is going on here? All these papers and that one. Let me look at that paper in 1993, see what's going on. Let me look at the Dr. Zedevlik a little bit more. Well, the first thing that I noticed was shocking. The paper that was published in 1993 by Dr. Zedevlik was published as a preliminary report. I spent two years look for the final report or a follow-up report or something, and I couldn't find it. Eventually, I was in one of the conferences, I approached one of the professors, very well-known professors, and he told me, he said, oh yeah, it doesn't exist. That paper is the preliminary report is all we have. That study was abandoned in the middle and it was never finished. I was shocked when I heard that. As a matter of fact, I invite your audience to do that. Go to Google, just put down spine fusion 
Zdeblik, Zdeblik, the name is Zdeblik, Zdeblik Spine Fusion article. You will see that this article was published in 1993 and has been referenced by 1,125 articles as of today. This paper is the most referenced paper in the entire world of spine surgery. Everything that we do in the world of spine surgery today tracks back to that one paper. And you will see that it says preliminary results. Where's the final result? We don't know. What happened? We don't know. But the story doesn't end there. So I was like, well, let me look into this a little bit more. And my source is Google. I don't have some private investigator that goes out. So this is all, type it into Google and it all comes out. This is all uh, known facts. Well, it turns out that Dr. Zdeblik published the paper in 1993. By 1996, the losses, those 7,000 losses that I told you start disappearing because of this paper. By 1996, one, something else started happening. Dr. Zdeblik starts getting paid from that company. What? Wait, wait, I've had that. <laughs> no, I've had <laughs> those reactions. And every time I thought things cannot get worse, it got 10 times worse. So there's, there's a couple of things I'm going to go through. So he started getting paid. By 2003, he had gotten paid $34 million from Medtronic. Right, 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 right. So I was like, oh my God, that's bad. Then there's something else came up. Now, right around early 2000s, the company Medtronic came up with another product. Uh, we call it BMP, bone morphogenic protein. It's a hormone that we all have in our body. When you break your bone, it gets excreted and heals the bone, promotes bone healing. Well, they have isolated that in a laboratory and comes as a product. As I mentioned earlier, when you do a fusion surgery, you have to get the bone from somewhere to put it between the two vertebrae. Well, the problem is that if you harvest it from, let's say, your hip or something, then that harvest spot becomes a problem. So now you fix one problem, you create another problem. Mm -hmm. So we were looking for places to get the bone that doesn't become a problem. Well, this product, bone morphogenic protein, was a very good alternative because you don't have to you get a you buy just a sponge and you put it in there and you don't have to hurt anywhere else you don't have to do another additional surgery so medtronic and it's a very expensive product so medtronic put dr zedeblik in charge of this study now okay he published the paper right around mid 2000s like around 2004 2005 saying that as a preliminary report again saying that this product works beautifully. It is absolutely better than anything else. And it's something that we've been waiting on. It's going to save spine surgery. Well, this time there was a problem and he got caught falsifying his results. Oh. By who? By United States Senate. There was an investigation by United States Senate into the study on BMP by Dr. Zdeblik. As a matter of fact, listen to this. This is, gets really interesting. It was the conclusion that the United States Senate, United States Senate concluded that the paper that Dr. Zedeblik published in 2004 was not written by him, was written by the company. And that was by United States Senate, right? So I don't think you can find a source that's more credible than the United States Senate, I guess. So I was like, oh my God, what is going on? Huh. <laughs> I gotta look, I gotta look into this a little bit more. Then I found out that Dr. Zedeblik from 
early 2000s all the way to like late teens, like 2018 or so, he was the chief editor of a major spine literature. I mean, he was in charge of basically saying what information can end up in literature, what doesn't. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine a company having such a direct access to literature of a certain specialty? This is crazy. This is beyond crazy, you know? But so, so God knows what has happened in that, you know, 18 years that he's been the, in charge of that article. What what really good study didn't make it and what's yeah. he's made it there just because he, you know, he, what, what doesn't matter? We can't talk about that. But let's say, so here I am. I'm looking at the literature, six prospective randomized study, multinational, multi-center say that stuff doesn't work. One paper by one guy who got paid and he got caught later says that stuff works. So what is going on? This was the biggest question in my head for about three years, three, four years. And the answer that I'm telling you, I found the answer eventually. The answer that I'm telling you didn't come to me like, you know, just one, you know, one moment. It came to me over years, over nights of not sleeping, over nights of thinking, you know, over many conversations with my wife that she's talking to me and I'm thinking completely something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. To figure right. It out. right. Try to figure out what is going on. And I eventually figured it out. And this is how it goes. I, at some point I was so mad at our my my craft as a spine I'm like, are we crooks? Are we like, you know, there's some conspiracy going on in the high above in the, among the leaders of the field in these societies that they belong to, that there's like some sort of a thing that they're and, and I truly believe such a thing is not going on. And this is the problem. As orthopedic surgeons, we learn, see, when you do orthopedic surgery, you do five years of orthopedic surgery. And then when you do fellowship, you do one year of fellowship. So I did five years of orthopedic surgery. In that five years, my, my exposure to spine was very minimal, very minimal. So most of the times what we studied was fractured. Every time we were on call, we're, talk, we're taking care of patients in the emergency, car accidents, bike accidents, accidents, basically, fractures, broken hip, broken forearm, broken fingers, you name it. So in that five years, that's all we treat. And then we finish that. We do one year, just one year, 12 months of spine surgery, and we call ourselves spine surgeons. And so what we did, we learned fracture fixation orthopedic surgery and we applied that same exact principles to spinal fusions and i'm coming out saying that oh my god we should have never done that why a fracture fixation or fracture in long bone fracture is a completely different environment completely different biomechanics than spine and i'll give you an example I have, to, I have to think about this for years to come up with this answer. Concept of what I said earlier, concept of rigid fixation, putting the bone end, end to end in a rigid fashion, works in extremity for one important reason. Because in extremity, you can eliminate gravity. The patient in the upper arm is in a sling. In the leg fracture, you put them on crutches. In spine, you can't eliminate gravity. You cannot hold the patient, suspend him in the air for months yeah. at a time or shoot him up to you know, a space station or something like that. 
So the second the patient gets up from bed, starts walking, that Very device that you put in is a constant stress, constant jarring. So the concept is no different than building high rises in an earthquake zone. You don't make it stiff, you make it flexible so you can yeah. flex and dissipate that energy. I was, and, and somehow I cannot get this through to my colleagues. Now, you gotta understand, there are two group of colleagues that I have. One are the neurosurgically trained, the other one is orthopedically trained. The neurosurgically trained people, they get it. The second I say it, they're like, they're absolutely right, yes. And as a matter of fact, my device won the innovation showcase in Congress of Neurological Surgeons, not orthopedic surgeons. I, I, I presented my device to an orthopedic team and I didn't hear anything back. And when I talked to them, they're like, absolutely no. Why? Because they've been brainwashed that rigid fixation is the way to go. As a matter of fact, listen to this. So we know that when we do scoliosis surgeries, we have high rate of complications. These screws break, they tear up, you know, they, you know, all sorts of failure, basically. So now the tendency is you add more rods. Instead of using two rods, now they're using four rods. And I'm like, oh my God, the entire world. I mean, we are, we are, we've been able to advance in architecture and and because of advancement that we know that we can get something more fun. All these great tall buildings, Burj Dubai, you know, uh, the Taiwan, you know, the high rise, you know, stuff. We all do those because we've learned to make things more flexible. Yeah. But in spine surgery, we're stuck in more rigid. And, and, and it's just crazy. About three months ago, I was a chaperone in one of my daughter's uh, field trips. We went to San Francisco to the Marine Headlands. And I remember the moment that the uh, uh, ranger was explaining stuff to the kids about the bridge, the suspension bridge. And she turned around to uh, about 25 uh, fifth graders and said, kids, remember, flexible is stronger flexible is stronger and i'm like i'm i'm like oh my god <laughs> this is this is fifth grade logic <laughs> you know, physics yeah. right 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 and of course i'm sure what the audience people who are listening to me are gonna say have you talked to your professors have you presented yeah, them yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely i have ambushed them I have, you know, chased them. Uh, some of them have cussed me out. Some of them, they, they just, every time I bring up the uh, notion that there could be a crop problem with these screws, they want to just tear me apart. It's almost like blasphemous. Why? Because as I said, in 1990s, the world of spine surgery went through a great trauma by the lawyers because of bad results. Mm -hmm. And they don't want that to be resurfacing again. And my attitude is that, and I've thought about this quite a bit. Trust me, before I wrote my book, I told myself, I said, am I stirring up something that's not there? Am I stirring up something that I shouldn't? And it all came down to the same answer. No, there was a problem there. There was all those problems because there was an issue and all we did, we put our head in the sound, in the sand, mm. hoping that we'll go away. And it's not going away. Well, <laughs> it's no, not it, gonna go away. The, the way I kind of see it, though, I'm like, there are some deep ulterior motives. And I kind of feel like 
if you did, you'd literally rock the boat to the point where it's like, we got to get on a new boat. And I think that's what they fear is that you're basically coming and shifting the paradigm so far from what they've been told. And like you said, the standard of care has been that for so long. And obviously it's kind of like, let's say a layman like me hears that. And we all assume, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's the way you do it. You fuse it, you put the rods in. Even the layman has been taught that this is the only way to do it. Now, the way I kind of see it, you're coming in <clears throat> and I kind of see it like the same as like the drug world or anything else. It's like, hey, you're cutting into my paycheck because big old med tech is paying my dude. You know, it's it's same with that Dr. Sibwaski or whatever, what his name was. I, I'm probably butchering his name, but the thing is, if you're getting paid 34 million, you know, a lot of people would be like, hey, yeah, just slap my name onto it. I'll say I did it, you know, and even though he was guilty in front of the U.S. Senate, <laughs> like this is. This is deep, man. This is this sounds like a movie in the making, to tell you the truth. But, but but you know, what you just said is hundred percent right. And that's what I was thinking. You know, I was like, you know, this is so bad. Let me tell you this. This is what I'm saying. I'm not the only one saying. In 2020, December of 2020, I walked into my office and I am, of course, just like any other spine surgeon, we're surprised. Uh, uh, we have subscription for Spine Journal. That's our journal. Mm -hmm. Whatever gets into that Spine Journal, we call it Spine, uh, we read it. The first article, the lead article of that journal, I think it was a December 15 of 2020. This was the topic. This was the, uh, the, the uh, topic, word for word. Undisclosed conflict of interest is prevalent in spine literature. Our journal, our journal is telling us that our data is tainted and nobody does anything about it. And this is a very well-known fact. And this is what happens. And I've talked about it in my book. A company comes up with a product, let's say. The CEO of that company has one goal and one goal only. One goal to make as Promise. much money as he can within the time that he's the CEO because he knows that his time is limited. Yeah. This is a four years, this is a five years, doesn't, but he has to make as much money as so he's gonna cut the corners, do this, do that to bring a product into the market. And they do this is what they do. They approach a surgeon, and it's always a very famous surgeon because that's what they want. Yeah. And that famous surgeon, unfortunately, maybe not now. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that everybody is, you know, I'm sure they can they would go to surgeon to surgeon. Some people might say no, some people might say yes, and that surgeon starts writing pro uh, papers that are favorable to the product and we start using it. 10 years later, we find that the stuff didn't work. Nobody says anything. They just move on to the next product. And I'm like, in my book, I'm like, no, 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 no. Come back here. What is this thing you wrote? Why, why we have to do that? Why we can't just turn a blind eye? Because it's not the fact that, oh, people who got that treatment, um, those are the victims. Those are the only victims, yeah. no. The victims of this practice is far greater. Why? Because every time we bring a product and paper that says it works, the entire thinking of the surgeons starts shifting. So we start going in the wrong direction. So it's mm. not just that product. It's the whole thinking of us that starts changing based on something that should have never happened. So that, that sort of a practice that, you know, you, you had an oath you know, for, for, for uh, do whatever you can for your patients, not to enrich your pocket. And, but unfortunately that's what's happening. That's what has happened so far. And it's so obvious. 
Now, there's been two investigations by the United States Senate into this matter that I'm talking about, and nothing happened because nobody knew really what was happening. I'm the first person that I put the two and two together, and I'm saying, wait a minute, this is what's happening. Now, I need you to understand something before I go any further, because I'm very open about this. One time, now, when I, when I uh, talk the talk, I fight the fight. I go to these conferences. I haven't been able to go since the COVID hit. I'm going to go back in. But before that, I would go to these conferences. I would raise my hand and start, you know, questioning. Asking questions, uh, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so um, a couple of times I went there and I, and I raised this question. And, and they were just like, not, so, so what I'm saying is that I've done this. Uh, I have talked to the uh, surgeons. I've talked to them saying that we got a problem here and they just don't want to listen to me. Let me tell you a story. This is an interesting story to understand what I'm dealing with. In 2016 in Boston, I was at North American Spine Society. And at that time, I was just starting to question things. I was just starting. I didn't know what I know now. So I had six papers in my hand that said this stuff doesn't work. So I got up in front of 800 spine surgeons and I said, we have six papers and they are famous surgeons. They're, they're famous papers. Says this stuff doesn't work. So what's going on? And then the surgeon, the panel, very famous surgeon, somebody that I like, said, oh, yeah, we did. Uh, we know about those papers. We did studies later on. We found out that actually they do work. And I didn't want to argue with him. You know, I still, you know, these guys are still leaders of my field. I didn't want to piss him off at that time. Yeah. So I didn't say anything. I could have said, well, why didn't you publish that part? You know, you just you kept the information to yourself. That doesn't make sense. So anyways, so 20 minutes later, I was in line to get coffee. I was talking to a drug representative one of, from one of these companies. I was talking to him. He introduced me to the guy behind me. He was an older surgeon. I'm not going to mention name. So he told me the drug rep turned around to him and said, Dr. Asley doesn't like the screws. And he said, oh, you're the gentleman that made that comment about the screws. Well, I just want to tell you that uh, everybody's welcome for their opinion, but you're very wrong. I turned around to him and I said, it's not about me that I'm right or wrong. It's about the literature. The literature says that this stuff doesn't work. Maybe, just maybe, the literature is trying to tell us something. He mm -hmm. said, I know. I published those papers. Those are my patients. He told me his name. Of course, I won't mention his name. I looked at my, I had the six papers in my hand. It was in the second. It was the fifth author on the second paper. He said, see, that's me. That's me. I'm like, okay, well, let's read your paper. At the last sentence, the, his paper said, at this time, based on the current evidence, we do not recommend routine use of screws in spinal fusions. He looked what? at it, he looked at it, and he said, no, that's wrong. And he walked away. What? That was his patience. <laughs> what? So wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you telling me is that this guy slapped his name onto a study and had no idea what the conclusive data actually was? How, right, right, right. But that doesn't right. hold on because now it's kind of like even for myself, I'm like, that does not make any sense. And how come there is no conclusive data then? Like, because you're telling me basically they based everything off of a, a prelim report. Like, it's not even conclusive, first and foremost. And second of all, the data that they have actually refutes what they've presented to be the truth or the standard of care. So, Correct. I mean, the way I kind of see it, like, Ah, unfortunately, this is a lot like the cartel, the mafia, anything else. It's just kind of like it just comes down to the money. And it really does. It is. And to your point, you know, this is just into quarterly profits and what they can really make bank on. However, it's kind of like, oh, geez, that's pretty brutal. If I got to 
a back issue and then you're like okay let's put some screws in you <laughs> you know right right but but let me tell you this though let me tell you this and and i had to seriously everything that you just said went through my mind for years for years um and i eventually came to the conclusion that it's not that we're not we are running like a cartel literally we're car we're running spine surgery right now like a cult no nice. question about that and that has to change that has to because we absolutely convinced that these screws work and all the evidence says that it doesn't and we think that the evidence is wrong i'm not kidding you that's what's going on and that's not because it's something that somebody has great power that's controlling us some godfather sitting there and telling no it's because our training is wrong. Spine surgery was never meant to be a subspecialty of orthopedic surgery. It was never meant to be that way, but it came out that way. So we got trained for fracture fixation, and then we applied those principles to spinal surgery. Yeah, spine surgery is too common. This is this is what this is how I explain to my patients. It's no different than Newtonian physics and quantum physics. Newtonian physics, if you want to build a house on Earth, you can use it by Newtonian physics, force, mm -hmm. you know, action, reaction, or whatever, or gravity. But if you want to build a laser or shoot a, a spaceship into the space, Newtonian physics is not enough anymore. You need quantum physics. Yeah. So that's what something that we need to do. Why? Because spine is a completely different entity. And I'll explain it to you. When I when I say this to some of my friends that are not in medicine they tell me he said artavon this is like third grade physics this is so basic are you <laughs> telling me i'm like that's exactly what i'm telling you and look right here this is what i'm going to explain to you the spine is upright right you know patient stands yeah. upright and the screws if i have to say they get inserted to it i would say parallel to the ground basically yeah so so parallel to the ground what is the motion of the vertebrae? The vertebrae doesn't slide back and forth, doesn't slide up and down. It rotates. It's a rotational. Every vertebrae rotates compared to the vertebrae below them. And then by rotation, each one rotates a little bit, and then the spine kind of flexes forward. So it's a rotational motion. Well, guess what? That means that the screw that's in there has to stop toggle, not pull out vertebrae doesn't want to slip forward it wants to rotate well guess what screw is not a device to stop toggle forces i remember i was six years old six years old when i realized when i learned that if you want to take a screw out you don't pull on it you toggle it then it will come out mm -hmm. simple as that so we tell the screw to do something that's not made for which is stopping toggle then we give him nothing but spongy bone now, that's another thing that I have to explain to you. Now, a backbone, a vertebrae, is not a solid wood. It's not like a solid block of uh, uh, like cement. It's yeah. a shoebox in a way. It's a shoebox. Outside bone is what we call cortical bone. It's a very solid bone. But inside bone is a spongy bone we call cancellous bone. So when these screws get inserted into the vertebrae, what they have to work with is a spongy, weak bone. That's why when people get older, the spongy bone with osteoporosis gets really weak. That's yeah. why in the elderly population, we have a lot of problems with these screws. You know, So 
back to my statement earlier. You tell the screw to do something that's not made for. Then you give him nothing but spongy bone. Now, when the paper comes back and says it doesn't work, you don't want to believe it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Jeez, man. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And you're right. What I'm telling these guys is that what you've done for the last 30 years in spine surgery was all wrong. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, that's the thing where regardless of what people's opinions are or what paradigm they may live in, if you're coming at them with the truth, it's kind of hard to dispel that. And eventually, I think that's one of the things, you know, either in your lifetime or maybe somebody else later on will carry this torch because it's something that, that will it needs to change. I mean, the thing is, you already put the truth out there. Somebody's going to find out and it's just going to, you know what, you're just the tip of the, the tip of the iceberg. You know, more people are going to pop out and all of a sudden you'll have a huge foundation. And like you said, some of your colleagues are on the same, you know, on the same, same boat as you. And they're like, Hey, yeah, let's, let's talk about this. Let's change this. But it's almost like, you're right. It, it's almost like you have to change somebody's mindset. And that's pretty hard to change somebody's mindset when they've been convinced that all their lives, like, no, no, I'm not duped. This is the right way to do things. And then you're telling them, no, you're wrong. Like, unfortunately, but you're not wrong. It's your mindset that's wrong. So it's almost like you got to recalibrate an entire system, man, which is, you right. know, that's tough, man. And, and it gets tougher than that. And I'll tell you why. I still use these screws when I do these surgeries. Well, there's two explanations to it. One explanation, I had a patient. I said, you got with my, she read the book, came back. She was mad at me. She was like, I can't believe you did that to me. You put these screws in me. I'm like, well, that's the standard of care. That's what we do now. I am not yeah. going to practice my own practice. I'm not going to, you know, if there's a, if there's an issue, you go to the next surgeon. That's the first thing they're going to say. They're going to say, oh, Dr. Asman, you use those screws, you know? So I have to use standard of care. That's one thing. But the second part, that's what you were referring to. I am one of them. This has been burnt into my head that you have to have screws. Even though I have this knowledge, even though I have seen this evidence, even though I've done the research and I'm still continuing with that, I'm having a hard time not putting those screws. Yeah. Well, it's it kind of like the so regulations. Hard. Yeah, you're right. Is it's that... kind of like the, re the regulations and the system they set up for you is like, you have to follow this. If not, you know, you got to get out. But th that kind of leads me to another question. Would there be would there be a way for you to practice in the way that you would like or experiment or would you have to go international for that? Like, let's say Germany or, or how would you go about like, let's say implementing a system or a way of doing it that aligns with the data properly and a way that you can do it and legally be okay and not, you know, well, not held accountable, but you know, not suffer any lawsuits or anything. You know, it's all relative. You know, the, the whole question is to what extent, I, you know, I've been in practice for about 20 years. I've never been sued for any surgery that I've ever done. And there's a reason for that. Uh, one, I'm very close to my patients. Two, I always, you know, practice kind of a defensive medicine. And I, and I always very careful in terms of what I do. I don't have a crazy busy practice that, you know, patients are sitting in the waiting room. Uh, they're waiting hours to come in and I'm doing, you know, like, eight surgeries a week or so. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't have that sort of pride because I'm careful with what I do. I, I move. So what I'm saying is that for me to start practicing a new brand of medicine, somehow I, I just can't do that. One, uh, I, it's not, 
proven that that the other one is mm-hmm. working better. See, that's that's another thing. Uh, it needs to be studied. That is about. I got to yeah. look at the evidence. You know, that's one thing. Two, it always comes down to the patient. If it's an accepted way, this is the accepted way to the patient. Then no harm's done. Yeah. You know. But if I do something on my way, now there's a problem. Wait, now what did I just did? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. But the one right. question I have now is like. Let's say if you took all the data that you have, you presented to like, let's say you go to UC Berkeley or something, you're like, hey, you know, would it be of interest? Or I guess, first of all, you'd have to get funding, (laughs) you know, which would probably cut into like big pharma, like, hey, man, we're not going to fund that study. But I mean, if you were able to, if you could put together the perfect study to study spinal surgery and alternatives, what would that look like? And how would you go about doing that? Really, the kind of like the setup for that? Uh, I really think the best studies is the repeat of the one of the uh, award-winning papers that was published in 1997. We have to repeat that. But then the, but then the other uh, thing is that that study has already been repeated. Uh, I didn't even mention this, you know, because there's so much going on that I just, I cannot remember everything to mention. <laughs> now that you said it, now I remember that. Six papers was published between uh, late 1990s and early 2000s, that says stuff doesn't work. There was another paper that came out in 2018. Now, this paper was a multi-center, multinational, and eight-year follow-up. These researchers followed the patient for eight years. They were primarily looking to see if the surgery works or it doesn't work. So what they were doing, they were comparing surgery to no surgery mm-hmm. to see if the surgery worked. And they found out that the surgery does work. People who had surgery did better than actually that people who did not have surgery. So my argument, now you got to understand to the, to, the, to the audience is that the argument is not that spine surgery works or it doesn't work. That's been proven with research that the spine surgery does work. My argument is that you don't have to make it as expensive as it is. Much cheaper surgeries are as good as the very expensive those stuff that we were putting in extra for the patient is not making much of a difference. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, that paper in 2018 did look into this and they also concluded that adding these screws did not add any benefit in outcome. Hmm. So, so not only six papers there, there's a seventh paper here two two decades later and it's still the same. (laughs) So so it, it is, it is absolutely mind-boggling. And this is, the, this is let, me, let me explain to you. When I talk to leaders of the field, they know about this. Their attitude is this. Yes, you're right. We haven't been able to show with research that these screws work. But it's not a big deal. No harm's done. We'll show it later. That's, that's really what they tell me. That's like, and, and that's universal. If I talk to 20 of them, I haven't talked to 20 of them, I'll say probably somewhere between 10 to 15 of them in detail. But these are very well-known, established publishers from main universities, somewhere between 10 to 15. And the attitude is the same. Yes, we know that we haven't been able to show, but no big deal, no harm's done, because we know that it works and we will show it later. And my, my answer to them is, Oh my God, every time you fail to show that something works, you just shown that it didn't work. These are not two separate events. 
So that means that you clearly shown that it does not work over and over and over. And now we are basically at the definition of insanity. So what they're telling me is that we're just gonna do the same experiment over and over until we find one that has the, has the answer that we're looking for. And I'm like, that's a, that's a definition of insanity, doing the same experiment over and over, uh, waiting for that you know, different result. You know, it's, it's and that now is. It, it is beyond belief. Let me tell you this, let, let me tell you one thing. If you're ever confused about what, I'm about what I've said so far, if you are like, you know, hey, what's going on? This can't be this way. Just go to Google, punch in Zedeblik Spine Fusion article. You will see that there is an article that says preliminary report and has been referenced by 1,125 article as of today. So today is June 12th. Can I, can I date the date today? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so June 12, 2023, as of today, has been referenced in 1,125 article. How do you explain? How do you explain that an unfinished preliminary report has been referenced so many times? It's the most referenced paper in the entire subspecialty. There's only one explanation to it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. That's all they got. That's all there is. An unfinished study by a guy who's proven guilty. <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah, especially, oh man, I mean, it really boggles the mind, but at the same time, it kind of does. I mean, for $34 million, people were willing to do sick and disgusting things. So, you know, the wow. fact that, you know, he was actually able to add his name to it, uh, to me, it almost becomes more of a moral compass kind of issue at this point because everybody's just making a profit but nobody I, I really don't think anybody cares about the patient at this point from what you're telling me and all the data that i've gathered it, it's really not about the patient at all like at well, all. i tell you why <clears throat> there's a reason for that though there's a reason for that every time i go to conferences twice a year i've been going to conferences since 2000 2001 every time i go to these conferences Somebody gets up and says, oh, yeah, there's a plenty of evidence that shows these screws work well. Six months later, somebody who had watched that, uh, that lecture gets up and says, oh, yeah, there's plenty of evidence that shows the screws work. So throughout the years, somehow we have propagated this knowledge, this kind of a false perception that these screws work great. So if you ask any surgeon right now, Spine surgeon, especially orthopedic, you say, oh, we showed it long. So they are under impression that this is how it works. But if they go look, there, is, there isn't. <laughs> Somehow somebody said something and then everybody just copied that and then just found a life of its own. <laughs> it's just propagated, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, 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 um, it's like there's so many stories with these with these studies and and, and stuff. I, I don't know where to begin. Um, I, I have brought up with so many surgeons about this, and they're convinced. They're saying, you know, uh, oh, that paper didn't have this problem. This paper didn't have that problem. Uh, that paper didn't do this. And like, okay, fine. Uh, those papers they have this problem. But since when a preliminary report is the definition of scientific definition of completeness in any field? it's not it's not it's kind of like 
I mean, you're always looking for best practices by the people that are actually in the field doing the thing every single day. I would think, you know, that's what I would think, <laughs> you know. Right, right, right. But obviously, to me, it's more of an agenda type thing. It, it, lobbying, this is where it kind of gets complicated. We get into the murky waters of politics involved in everything. And I mean, right. it, it's right. it's insane to me when I think about it, but at the same time, it kind of clicks when you look at it from that perspective in that there's always somebody with an agenda and this guy over here and they'll fund that, and, you know, they're buddy buddies. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because it's almost like human nature just playing out in different arenas. It's brutal, though, because I'm like, well, I mean, something's got to change because obviously different people are suffering from it. You're not able to do things or even ask for change because that's going to rock the boat to the point where it's like a lot of people are going to be like, nope, that is just unacceptable. We've been parroting the same thing over and over again. Even though we're all insane, we're all going to go with it, slap each other on the back and say, yeah, we did a great job today. And to me, as somebody that's just a spectator, like I, I had read the email about it, but now that you've gone in depth, you know, I feel extremely confused. <laughs> you know, like that's the best way to put it to you is that it's just, it just doesn't add up, man, because you're right. That's the standard of care that we've kind of just said, hey, this is the way we're going to do things now. And yeah, it doesn't make but, sense. And, and you got to understand, I have the problem with you. I mean, you're saying this. I still struggle with that in my head. My wife didn't want me to write this book. I mean, my wife was very scared. She said, yeah. we have a good life. You have a good practice. My wife is an attorney. You know, you're going to ruin the you, I, and I told her, I said, my life is already ruined. Once I found this out, I can't sleep at night if I don't. I cannot live with myself. Yeah. I mean, I'm a doctor. I, I, I became a doctor to help people, not intentionally now hurt them. And just put, you know, so I have to do something, say something. So it was a very hard decision. And everything that you tell me, I, I thought about it. But I still, to this point, yes, money has a lot to do with it, but it doesn't start with money. It's not like malicious surgeons. They say, I'm going to make the money and I'm going to, you know, just, no. I think what the surgeons start with is that true uh, good nature try to help people and they believe, they start believing in a certain treatment. And once they do that, they get blinded with other evidence. And here I have to come and say, doesn't matter how much you believe in something. And we all have beliefs, you know, doesn't matter how much you believe in a therapy. You have to have to keep yourself as a detached, as a, as a uh, no prejudice, you know, yeah. and you got to look at the data with no um, preconception, mm-hmm. but they don't do that. You know, they, they say, we know that this is going to work. We believe that this is going to work. We're going to twist the data. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to your point, it's kind of like, if you don't look at things from a neutral perspective, you're coming in already biased and you have your prejudices. How is yeah. it possible that somebody that's already got preconceived notions as to what kind of conclusion they want is going to be in charge of giving you the conclusive data, right? That, that to Correct. me is just mind-boggling. But that Correct. being said, Dr. Asley, I mean, I had a great time with you today and I want to have you on more because... I think there's a lot more that we could talk about, but give us some closing words on on what your outlook is for the future when it comes to spinal surgery and just spinal health in general. Sure. One thing that I want the audience to understand is that spine surgery is a very young field. If you think about it, spine surgery was had started. I mean, spine surgery, we've been doing it for decades, but really started with MRI. It was the invention of MRI that actually we could see the discs to see the damage and what's happening to them. And commercially, 
available MRI wasn't available till 1985, and those MRIs were not good quality. So let's say you give them 10 years for the quality to get better, and then 10 years to kind of get them spread out through the United States, because when something gets available, not everybody gets it. You know, the mm-hmm. first big centers gets it, and then start getting cheaper, and then you know. So I'm talking about probably 1995. So if you think about it, spine surgery is only 25 years old. We're just starting to see these discs and see what's going on. So I don't want the audience to be uh, discouraged and say what's, you know, so we are, we are doing, we are progressing. Uh, we are getting better. There are better techniques, but give us some time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is, spine surgery is a super, super complex, you know. Uh, I have patients that they've been in car accidents they have MRIs before the accident for some unrelated reason, and they have MRIs after the accident. Uh, they have no pain before the accident, and then they get into an accident, and even though MRI looks exactly the same, they're in miserable pain. So yeah. there's so many things that needs to be explained. We need to find out, you know, why people get better, why people don't get better. Uh, but one thing I just wanted to tell about my book was that I didn't want to write a book to just talk about controversies and stuff. You know, I didn't want to kind of be a complaint. So the first four chapters, I wanted to teach my patients what we go through as spine surgeons to select the patient for surgery or no surgery, or how do we evaluate? I really think one of the things that the spine surgeons haven't done is to educate the public in terms of what we can or what we cannot do, what's reasonable, what's not reasonable. Everybody wants to have a surgery and get fixed up, no pain and go on with their life. Well, sometimes it's reasonable. Sometimes that's, you know, we we can accomplish that. Sometimes it's not. So Mm -hmm. patients need to understand what they're getting themselves into. So that's why the first four chapters, I try to educate public in terms of what spine, what I've learned for the last 20 years of being a spine surgeon. And I try to make it simple for patients, not written for doctors. It's true stories of my patients. I've tried to teach my patients, you know, what we do, what they need to do uh, in terms of taking care of their back pain, basically. Awesome. Awesome. And and the link for that book is going to be in the description, guys, along with everything else. Dr. Asley, honestly, this was a very, I mean, when I, like I said, when I saw the email, I was like, this is something that I can't believe is real. <laughs> it is, and, and it's not only real, it is mind boggling. It's happening as we speak. Yeah. Yeah. It is I, just crazy. I think it's something that, you know what, at least on the bright side, and the one thing I commend you for is that you're actually bringing this to the public. I mean, I had no idea this even existed. I didn't even know anything about this field, but you know, and hopefully through this episode and, and with you talking about it and being an advocate for it, more people can learn about it, which will hopefully lead to the change that, you know, you're after. Right. And what my goal, so why did you read this, write this book? You know, a uh, patient always asks me, so what's your agenda? My agenda is this. I want patients to read this book and go back to their surgeons and tell them, hey, that we read something like this. What's your answer? So those surgeons can go back to the literature and say if that's true or not. Yeah. You know, yeah. because right now they've taken it for granted. They're like, oh, we showed it a long time. We don't even have to look at that. That's like old story. And I'm like, no, you got to go back and see. <laughs> exactly. Right now, everybody's unconsciously incompetent, but hopefully in the near future, they're going to be consciously incompetent, which, hey, at least that's the first step on the right path. Right. Right. And that's, you, you're absolutely right. The first step is to acknowledge that there's a problem because I remember I was in 
uh, some sort of a neurological conference in um, in Louisiana. And I approached, see what I did, you know, I would just approach different group of like two, four, three, four guys talking to each other, I would approach and start talking about these things. Approach the young guys, neurosurgeons, and I said, yeah, you know, um, I think I have a solution for the screw. I can I, 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 I can talk about the problem. They said, they looked at each other and said, what problem? We're fine with screws. The screws are working great. We're looking at each other. Screw. Do you have a problem with your screws? No. Do you have a problem? No, no, no. We don't. You have a solution for a problem that we don't have. I was like, oh my God. You're like, oh never mind. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Right? Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I, it's hopefully sooner than later we'll see the change you're after. Because honestly, I think, you know what? When more people start to realize there's an issue here, that's when things start changing, Dr. Asley. Correct. Thank you. Being... Well, thank you very much for giving me a platform to actually talk about this. That's very important. I really appreciate that. No, man. Honestly, like I said, it was a pleasure. And I honestly, I, I do want to stay abreast with the story. I mean, because it's pretty interesting, man. It's it's very, very interesting. The way I kind of see it. Hey, you know what? Right. You're right now almost like a whistleblower. So I want to make sure that, you know, I learn as much as I possibly can in regards to the story and just see how it plays out. Because I think this is probably a precursor for something bigger. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully, man. That being said, guys, thank you for tuning into this episode. And we'll see you in the next one.